You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and coming up on the show tonight, Gary O'Hanlon, a.k.a. Gaza Chef. Gary's going to be on the phone to tell us what we can expect from TV3's restaurant, which started last week. I have an interview I recorded with wine importer Brian Smith from Ron Forrestal's Christmas Wine Fair to share with you. Belfast Food Tour's Caroline Wilson has the February update for the Northern Ireland Year of Food and Drink. This month the theme is Love Local. And I have a report from the Weston Price Foundation Wise Traditions Conference that took place in Limerick's Tomond Park recently. If you'd like to get in touch with me, please drop me an email, s.noonan at live.ie or you can tweet me as usual at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation. So the first guest of the evening was on the show last year when TV3's The Restaurant was being filmed. Gary O'Hanlon, a.k.a. Gaza Chef, he's no stranger to the world of media and regularly appears on TV and radio. He's the chef in charge of the starters on the TV show The Restaurant and it started last week on Wednesday on TV3 and the first guest chef was Mrs Brown's boys, Rory Cowan. Gary's on the phone now, so let's see if we can get him to dish up some behind-the-scenes gossip. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Gary, it's great to have you on the show tonight to talk about the TV3, the restaurant, which started last week. And the first person in the kitchen with you was Rory Cowan from Mrs. Brown's Boys. Yeah, yeah, it was a good, good, good way to open the new series, Sharon, for sure. You know, he was a colourful character and uh, went down really well with everyone. And we must point out as well that sadly Paolo is no longer with us, so he isn't the the critic with Tom Durley. We have Marco Pierre White this year. That's right. Yeah, yeah. What a what a complete contrasting character to replace dear old Paolo with. You know, we all really miss Paolo. It was the first time, I suppose. Obviously, we had the meetings and we had different little various things. Although Paolo wouldn't really be a part of a lot of them, apart from the launches. But to be in there then, we'd only really bump into Tom and Paolo after service late at night, maybe twelve one a.m. when we're coming out of the the kitchen. But yeah, for sure. You know, obviously during the filming and, and you'll see it like we obviously have the screens in the kitchen and uh, it definitely because Tom was probably the more bad cop to Paolo's good cop you know so obviously then Marco comes in with a whole different perspective altogether so the dynamic has certainly changed still think it's, it's it's obviously very very good still you know but you know we it was de- everyone was definitely every, everyone had a soft spot for Paolo you know so he was, he was badly missed for sure absolutely is Marco going for the kind of Simon Coyle approach? Does he want to be the Simon <laughs> Coyle of the restaurant? Well, he, he always, he really seemed to want to have the last word every night. There was no doubt about it, you know, like the way with Coyle and the X Factor, everyone else has a wee speak. And it's very rare that Simon Coyle wouldn't go last. Like, so he would have, and to me, it sort of seemed like Marco would be waiting and ready to pounce, even on the other critics, or, or like whatever guest judges would be in or with Tom, you know, like he just seemed, and sometimes, you know, he seemed to be getting hypercritical when he didn't really need to, you know what I mean? But look, we're in the kitchen and we, we're rooting for the celebrities to do well. We're pushing for them all to get the five stars. So we take it really, really personally. Whenever they start saying anything negatively, like, we, you know, well, me certainly, like, I mean, we really, really do, because we know just how hard everyone's working all day, you know. But to be fair to Marco, the one thing that he did bring, which is the total flip side, although Paolo was a chef as well, obviously, but Marco would see a lot of the technical ability, even in some of the simpler dishes, what would be to the, to like a normal diner. Uh, there are some dishes going to be on the series where Marco would look at it and say, God, like that's a really, really difficult challenge for an amateur cook to be trying to put together for the guts of 50 plus people. So definitely in that sense, like it was good to have him there because there was times where times it went in her favour and times it didn't shine, you know. Were you impressed with Rory's skills in the kitchen? Yeah, Rory was just so upbeat. Like he he, he has a saying uh, that Brendan gave him, I forget what it is now, uh, he was saying it on the show there last week, like God has popped out of my mind, but he kept repeating it, you know what I mean? Like even during the day, it wasn't even said as much on, on, on camera, but um, he just, he just, took so much enjoyment out of the day obviously he had his pink skull cap on and he had his rainbow cake for his dessert and uh, he just 
he, he just wanted to do it to say that he'd done it and have a bit of crack and he he wasn't going to live by five stars or die by one star you know he just he just wanted to come and enjoy himself and he was a breath of fresh air you know it was an awesome day so he didn't mind what his result was he wasn't disappointed he, he really it. didn't care no he didn't I think we we were disappointed because you know we obviously obviously I got stuck with a with a dodgy salad starter or whatever it was that was a, a bit out there you know what I mean and didn't go down all that well at all you know but like that's what we sign up for but he didn't mind you know I think like once we get into the groove like like like, it, like you'll see through the rest of the series with everyone is you know in the in the morning in the beginning it's all kind of slow and they're all kind of edgy and then they start getting a wee feel it's the timing and trying to understand how they cook like they're, they're more than capable of cooking themselves and their friends and partners at home but it's them whenever they're there and they're under the time constraint of 50 plus people in a restaurant and then coupled with the fact that the feedback is coming back in real time and it is real time and this is where the beauty in the restaurant is like there's it's really you know when i joined the show four years ago it's there's a reason why i was a big fan of it obviously for many years because it's not staged you get in there in the morning and if you're not ready they don't care they open the restaurant just like it would be in view mount house where i am or any other restaurant you've got to be ready so they really, like, Rory took to it like a duck to water. He just enjoyed himself. He didn't let it consume him at all, you know, because some of them, it can, you know. I'm looking down the list now of people who were on this year and who are, we have still to see most of them, but there's one of them there, Dr. Eva Orsmond, who people might yeah. know from Operation Transformation That's right, from previous yeah. years. So I'd imagine, like, she would be quite good at cooking. However, it might not be the sort of food that people want to go out and pay for of an evening. Yeah, it certainly isn't the type of food Dr. Eva's going to be on tomorrow night, Sean, and you'll see it for yourself. It's not. It's certainly not something that goes down too well with me and Stevie and Louise. Anyway, you know, it's uh, look. Obviously, that's her business. That's her practice. She's all about you know high fiber and low sugar and low carbs and this, that, and the other. You know, and it's good. She brings she brings good food to the table. We obviously, you know, halfway through the day, we get to have a taste and we get to have our two throw or two cents at it. You know, but tomorrow night's episode is explosive I'm telling you now I, I do remember it's a long time ago since we filmed it but I do remember the tastings that day the guys the producers coming in and they were just like you know there might have been a few tears even when it comes I don't want to give too much away but uh, she certainly but she really embraced it as well and she embraced she kind of went with a you know a, a, a sinner type dish and then maybe one a wee bit more healthy to me they all seemed a wee bit kind of bland and a wee bit healthy which she didn't really like to hear she's a very competitive character if anyone's seen her on Operation Transformation she really really but she's a lovely lovely lady you know like she she really was a pleasure to be around she she knew what she wanted she stuck to her guns and uh, to me very very similar to Jackie Lavin on last year's series you know like she really just has is on a mission you know but uh, it's 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 interesting tomorrow night show for sure. Doesn't sound like you'll be putting any of her dishes on the Viewmont House menu any day soon. <laughs> uh, absolutely not. <laughs> brutal. Some of it was brutal, you know. But look, it's good fun. It makes better TV. Of course, yeah. TV when it all starts going wrong. Now, anybody that follows you on Twitter, Gary, will know that you're a huge football fan. So tell me about when this former footballer and pundit walked in. Who was it? Ah, uh, yeah, Kevin Kilban. Yeah, Zizu to all his uh, diehard fans over the years. Yeah, I was really over the moon to see Kevin walk into the kitchen because you know he's he's up there as, as some of the record cap holders for Ireland, up over a hundred caps, I believe. There, thereabouts, one eleven or one twelve. I could be wrong, but he had a great career, and obviously, you know, he he was famous, and I think for the fact that he never missed a game whether it be a friendly or a full international competitively for for nearly 10 years and he just he just was a decent guy and and when it came to the day he he was really good in the kitchen obviously I, I find like even I've done stuff at David Gillick at different times and he obviously did Celebrity Master Chef and a lot of these guys that are athletes they have to their food is their fuel and they have to look after themselves and cook and Kevin still is in great shape he still plays a bit and uh, he looks after himself. So, look, from a personal note, it was really, really cool to have a footballer. I remember last year, like, Andrew Trimble obviously was on. It was great. But I remember saying to Philip, the producers, uh, God, you know, get me a footballer, you know, and I couldn't believe it. I'm not sure. I'm sure they didn't get him Kevin for me, but it was it was awesome to be in there with him. And, you know, if we, he's kept in touch as well. Like, we went to an Ireland game together and we've been talking 
a good bit. We were at the launch a few weeks ago and he drop a wee text here and there. So yeah, it's, uh, that's been pretty cool for me personally. So it sounds like he was probably your favourite, like food oh, yeah. aside, but in terms of just spending time with somebody like that who seems to have been a bit yeah. of a hero of yours. Ah, yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, I just admired his career. Like, you know, like he, he obviously, Kevin would tell, be the first to tell you, like he, he wouldn't be a messy or set the world on fire, but he was a solid pro and Irish people really relate to that. He, he he had a great work ethic. He was a fantastic person and a fantastic pro. And you know, like I enjoyed being there with all of them. They all bring their own uh, things to the table, you know. But I, I suppose from uh, just the boy in me, you know, like it was really cool to be alongside a, a former Premier League player. Yeah. The others then, you have Nathan Carter, you have Pippa O'Connor, uh, Sean Gallagher, and have I missed one out? Or is that, that's maybe all of them we've mentioned. So, like, have you any gossip from any of the other guys that you want to share with us? Uh, well, well, I had, I had great crack with Sean Gallagher, actually, you know, because, you know, obviously from Dragon's Den and then the presidential run, and he got, a, he got a bad deal there, you know, like a lovely, lovely man to be around. And he had a wee bit of a Donegal connection as well, which was really, really cool for me, and he, you know, it was kind of like Alan Shatter last year where you get to see a different side of someone, you know. So Sean was really personal, really, really nice guy. I thoroughly enjoyed Sean's company, you know. And, and when it, the filming sequence, actually, that was the first one we filmed. And I think it might be the last one of the series as far as the McCall is on it. And uh, that was the first night, like, a wee bit of gossip there with like Durley and Markle really didn't click on the first night okay. so I think your fireworks everyone's going to have to wait there's been a few teasers on Twitter and on Facebook and online there but the uh, the real fireworks actually happens in the dining room on the Sean Gallagher episode the last one it gets pretty pretty heated do we have any five stars to look forward to? Are you oh, able to reveal that to us? I can't be telling. I can't be telling. <laughs> Just a hint. Just, yeah, it yeah. certainly doesn't sound like we're going to see one tomorrow night with Dr. Eva. Uh, yeah, you know, Dr. Eva, we, we, we were able to pull, pull her back halfway through the day. She took a little bit of advice off us. So okay. I'm not going to rule it out. I'm not going to rule it out. But um, there are certainly some courses that, it was really, really difficult to put a chefy twist on them. There, some of some of the chefs just brought like simplicity to a whole new level, and then there are others who had some of the most intricate. Like Pip O'Connor brings a starter to the table that you wouldn't really put on the menu if you had thirty chefs in the kitchen. Really, really difficult day. Really, really pushed the boat out. And uh, worth looking out for that one. Too, okay, great. Yeah, that's all I can say on the stars. Now, I heard Marco Pierre-White on with Anton Savage on Today FM last week and Anton was kind of saying to him, were you writing on the tablecloth? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Marco, <laughs> big Marco just decided to sign the tablecloth. I think we, also in the, in, the, in the kitchen, we signed them as well. I think they were going to be auctioned off for different charities. Well, that's exactly what he said, that they yeah. all wrote their... Did they sign it or were they writing their notes on it? Uh, he wrote a wee note on it and and, uh, and then he just signed it. And I think all the celebrities as well, like they signed the plates as well. That's something I, I think happens. I don't know if it's the UK or in the States somewhere, but it's something that's kind of creeping into trend when people come in like and they maybe have a a bit of love for the chef or whatever and they say you know would you mind giving me a signed plate now I hope nobody thinks about coming into Viewmount House because the plates are well over 100 euro oh each my God. I, don't, I don't know I don't know how well that is going down some of them are it's Nairobi bone china and I don't think the boss will take too too well to me sticking a permanent marker on some of them you know but yeah I guess uh, we all signed the cloths and some of the plates on various nights and uh, what I was told then is like every celebrity has their own charity that's right so I yeah. guess that they probably will stick them up or auction them off. If it hasn't been done already, it'll be done at some other point. And all the money I was told at the time of filming was going to go to charity. So a nice little idea and a nice little memento for those in the foodie world that are really, really into it. And if that's something that would be of interest to them, they could frame it and hang it up. So Marco brought something positive to the experience. <laughs> and by know, the look, he, brought, he brought a lot positive. You know, like you're talking about someone that my whole career, like, I mean, you're looking at a guy that taught Gordon Ramsay how to cook, just to put into perspective of just how much of a giant of, of the culinary world. Like, Marco is arguably the greatest chef that's ever that's ever cooked. And that's a big, bold statement, considering the talent that's out there. Marco was literally, he was just one of a kind. I mean, he really, really was an innovator. So for me, personally, to grow up and, and you know, looking at Harvey's, you know, he didn't have as much 
there was no social media this and the other. It was all TV. But, you know, you always grew up and we always knew, you know, 20-odd years ago, like, who the big, big, big guys were. Like, Well, we look forward to it tomorrow night. And as you say, it's Dr. Eva Orsmond that's on and that's TV3 at 9 o'clock. Gary, great to talk to you. Thanks a million for coming on you this too, evening. Sharon. Thanks very much. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Fantastic to chat to Gary and I am looking forward to tomorrow night's episode. Still to come tonight, Belfast Food Tour's Caroline Wilson has the February update for the Northern Ireland Year of Food and Drink. This month the theme is Love Local and I have a report from the Western Price Foundation Wise Traditions Conference that took place in Limerick's Tomond Park. So you might recall that at the end of November last year, our resident wine expert, Ron from Forestal Wine Merchants, held his annual wine fair. When I was there, I met some of the wine importers that were doing the tastings, and one such importer was Bren Smith from McKenway Wine. So let's have a listen to our chat. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Brian, I was just talking to Frank there and he has a lot of New World wines, but you have a number of European wines here. And this Rioja, tell us a bit about it. It's very popular, I believe. So this is the best-selling Rioja in Spain, actually. It's the number one spelling Crianza over in, in Spain. It's 100% Tempranillo. And the thing about Crianza is it has to spend two years in the winery before they can sell it. So it spends at least 12 months in American oak, would be quite traditional for, for Rioja. It's one of the few regions where they still use American oak. And then at least 12 months or the, the, the remainder of the two years will be spent in in bottle rating before they release it to soften it out and make it ready for the customers. And what sort of food would it go well with or is it a good standalone drink? Um, standalone, it's beautiful because it's, it's nice and it's medium bodied, it's not too heavy at all, Tempranillo doesn't tend to be too heavy. But if I was uh, cooking that up with something, I'd be matching it with lamb. Lamb would be a really traditional dish. Or else, if you want to look at your tapas, you might like use some chorizo in something that you're cooking, that type of thing. Or uh, medium body cheeses. I wouldn't go all the way to a, like a blue cheese. That be it wouldn't wouldn't really work very well there. But like even a nice bit of cheddar could could go well with the kodo, definitely. Okay. Definitely. You must get some of Helen Cahill's, Cahill's cheese there I'll to go, go with it then. I'll go make sure yeah. I have it She's at my table, of, yeah. Lots of different cheddar cheeses there. I need something to snack on as well. Is Rioja the most popular variety of red wine coming out of Spain at the moment? Oh, 100%. With all the history that's going down there uh, with, with the, on the export market, um, and domestically, like that's that's what everyone recognises. It's it's almost you'd say it as the the bastion of quality within Spain. And then there's other upcoming areas like Roberto Duero or Sigales or somewhere like that. But in terms of the the heart of anyone's range, especially in Ireland, you'd see eight to ten different Riocas, whether it's Crianza or Reserva or just a Yovine Tempranillo uh, or even a Gran Reserva. And then you might see eight to ten maximum other other wines from Spain but really it's it's all about Rioja definitely and Irish consumers love the flavour profile because it's it's nice and easy to drink so you have another red wine here and it comes from France but it has Irish connections yeah so the next wine is the Chateau Beville de Faray and that is owned by a gentleman called Philip Grant so uh, he wasn't one of our NAMA collective he he did well himself and and sold built and sold various businesses to the point where he fulfilled a dream that he said to a famous Irish uh, wine educator called Mary Gaynor she's she's from the wine center in in uh, Kilkenny or now Thomastown and uh, he said when he was doing his diploma in wine that he was going to own his own winery in the 80s and uh, come, I think it was about 2008, uh, he took over and he bought it. And uh, it's a beautiful spot. It's in Fronton. That's the area where it's from, and that's just north of Toulouse. So the beauty about that area is it never struggles for ripeness. The grapes every year are always ripe. You might get a bit of hail or anything like that, but quality-wise, it's always really, really good and consistent. Um, and he's done a really, really good job. He won uh, a prize in the Digida Chet which it means uh, two stars in the Yiddish means he and the coup de corps, which means it's the best wine in the region. So for an Irish man to be producing the best wine in a French region, he's doing something right. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. And uh, the, the unique thing about this wine as well is it's uh, grape variety. So the minimum in the blend they have to use in this region is Nigrette. And Nigrette is originally from, uh, they say it's either from Cyprus or Morocco, it's over that direction. 
but it gives a really deep color. So when we taste it later on, you'll see there's a really deep color. And then the, he blends in some Cabernet Franc, some Cabernet Sauvignon, and some Shiraz. And that gives it a nice body and nice structure, nice aroma. aroma. But uh, you'll see the deep color coming from the Negrette. It's really, really nice. Um, in terms of food matches, with that one, uh, classic Toulouse sausage, you know, something big and, and robust. Uh, it can take it because it's got lovely ripe fruit. But uh, perfect, perfect with some sausage or a bit of beef. If you wanted to put it on with a bit of grilled meat, that'd be really, really tasty. A sirloin steak or a ribeye or something. That's uh, your magic connection there. Your best-selling white wine is a wine that Ron Forrestal has had on the show in the past. It's very popular. Yes, yeah. The, the Opochu is a, is a bit of a gem, to be honest. We've had it now for a good few years, and it's comfortably the best-selling wine, white wine on our portfolio in terms of... Uh, the appreciation that customers have it and, and the value for money that it offers. It's just next door to Sancerre, so you can imagine the flavour profile that you get from Sancerre. Similar to New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, a lot of people understand what it is. Um, and the style that they make is a little bit more New Zealand style rather than Sancerre style. Um, and that's your, your perfect match for, for fish, any sort of fish, shellfish, salmon, hake, cod or just sipping by itself because it's not too full-bodied as white wines goes it's nice and fresh and crisp and easy to drink so um, that would be a staple in a lot of households or a lot of parties or weddings that's exactly what I go for as an importer of these wines do you get many opportunities to actually go out and visit the vineyards uh, not like I think they used to back in the old golden days I think the golden era was a, a few years ago so if I look across the table there I've been to several of them, whether it's uh, Chile, I've been to Opochu, I've been to the lads in Muscadet, in the south of France, Sancerre, Macon, Chablis, been to Bellevue, been to Rioja, uh, been to New Zealand. I haven't been to some of the other places like Brazil, been to South Africa. Yeah, I've been to most of these ones, luckily enough, but because uh, I've been at it a long time, maybe I've built up a connection and uh, uh, as opposed to I don't go away every month. Do you find that that really helps you whenever it comes to selling the wine that you, whenever you've been out to the vineyard and got to know the growers and see how it all, how it all happens? It does. It definitely helps you understand uh, what they're doing and, and put their story across to them. But I think it gives you a greater pr- appreciation for, for understanding the style of wine and why it tastes the way it does. As a, like you understand a lot more about the. The word the terroir basically and and the climactic conditions and and how all that goes to make obviously people think it's grapes and it's wine but there's so much more uh, environmental factors that go into making it taste the way it does so once you get over there and you can really see what's going on there and what the soil type is and how that imparts a flavor onto the wine it definitely helps get over there just to make sure you're getting really nice wine from that area and, and the best that you can are you a red man or a white man yourself uh, generally, I'd be on the red side of things, yeah. You can't beat a, a nice bit of white if it's the summertime and you have a nice bit of fish or something like that, but I'd, I'd have a glass or two and then you'd be moving on to the reds. Definitely. Any particular red? From this table, uh, I really like the Chianti, actually, the Bellevue, the, the Codo, there are the three good ones, and then uh, something different, the Rongo Dongo. Uh, it's 100% Monastral from, from right down the south of Spain, from Humilla. And uh, that might be something to go with grilled meat as well. It's, it's really juicy and fruity, a bit like a Spain comes to the New World type of thing. It's really nice. Uh, and I really like wines from the Roussillon, which is right down the south of France. I think they're really, really good for value for money there. All these wines are available in County Limerick through Ron Forrestal, a Forrestal wine merchants, but in other parts of the country, can people get them from various different places? Is the best place to go to find out, to get more information on your website? Uh, you can go to our website, macaway.com, but uh, in terms of Munster and Limerick, Ron would be the exclusive person we, we work with. And then if you're in Dublin, uh, independent off-licenses you'd go to, whether you're in uh, the Vintry in Rathgar or just a vine in Port Marnock or some of the top places around the country would stock most of these wines um, and that's where you'd find them. You wouldn't really find them in your supermarkets or anything like that. That's not really a, a route to market that we look for. So you know whenever you buy these wines, especially for a gift, people can't be nipping into the supermarket to see how much they cost? No, they don't. They don't go to Tesco, they don't go to Super Value, they don't go to uh, O'Brien's or any of those places like that. Now these are hand-picked, generally family-owned wineries um, and, and they're doing what they do because they love, they love it. 
Brian, great to talk to you. Thanks for your time. Thanks very much for listening. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan. So far on the show tonight, we've heard some behind-the-scenes gossip from TV3's The Restaurant, thanks to Chef Gary O'Hanlon. And just before the break, you heard me out and about talking to Brian Smith at Ron Forrestal's Wine Fair last November. And I'd like to take this opportunity to congratulate Ron on his new business venture. He's teamed up with John J. Galvin and Son and Listowel, and this new partnership means an increase in the current portfolio of wines. So I look forward to Ron returning to his wine slot next month and we'll find out more about the collaboration then. In the meantime, all the very best, Ron. Don't forget, if you missed any of the show so far, it will be up on the podcast later in the week and you'll find it on soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show or subscribe free of charge and download it on iTunes or use the podcast app. We still have my report out and about from the West and Pricewise Traditions Conference that took place recently in Limerick's Tomond Park. In the meantime, it's back over to the phone where Caroline Wilson from Belfast Food Tours is waiting to tell us about the Northern Ireland Year of Food and Drink February Love Local theme. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Caroline, you're very welcome to the programme this evening. Hello, how are you? I'm great. February is Love Local in Northern Ireland for the Northern Ireland Year of Food and Drink. And whenever I heard this theme, I just immediately thought of you because you love all things local, but you know about all things local whenever it comes to food and drink in Northern Ireland. Well, that's the idea. (laughs) So let's start with the Belfast food tour that you do because it goes to lots of different food and drink producers in and around the city. It does. We um, we travel around Belfast for about four and a half hours and we visit um, about eight, eight different places and we spend about an hour in St George's Market and we meet lots of um, the local producers and then we go off around the city and eat and drink lots of local food and drink. You're always very coy about where people go and what they get to eat and drink. You really like to hang on to it until they do the tour, don't you? I do. I, lo- I really enjoy that. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's out there if people want to go and do it. It's a bit like whenever you hide the Christmas presents. If people want to find them, they'll find them, but they'll spoil a surprise. And I love giving people surprises. And as adults, there aren't many surprises in life. So it's lovely that people can just let go on a Saturday morning and let me take them. And eventually, the ones that are maybe just not used to that, eventually they do relax and they get so much more out of it. The expectation then is just, it's, it's it's just to have fun as opposed to and you know and learn and enjoy really rather than where we're going to next and what oh this is this place and everything else they can just stop their brains a wee bit and that's what other way can you better way to spend a Saturday morning well as you say you do start in St George's Market if it is a Saturday tour and one of the stops having enjoyed the the tour myself last year one of the stops in there you get to sample a 15 and a lot of people in the south of Ireland would have no clue what a 15 is a 15 is, well, I wouldn't say it's a baked good because it doesn't go near an oven that goes into the fridge, but it's the type of thing you would have made as a child. And you take 15 digestive biscuits and 15 uh, marshmallows and 15 glassy sherries and it's condensed milk and all these, a couple other different things. But really, it's something as the, the people that we get them from in the market, they, they don't even bake them and they only make them for me because I do think they're the best ones to do, and Pantry. But they call them sticky fingers because you're left with really sticky fingers afterwards. But it's the thing that most of the media or journalists that do my tour and come on and come and see what Northern Ireland food's about, they're photographing it and they're really intrigued as to what it is. But it's something that's so sweet. You can really only have a little bit of it with a coffee and it's, or a cup of tea and it's perfect. Definitely one of my favourite tray bags or buns, whatever you want to call it. And it takes me back uh, too many years to say. It's definitely much better than a caramel square. But you know something, Trish Dezean is putting them on the map because she has a recipe for them in her cookbook, Home, which came out right. last year. Yes, so beautiful book. Yeah, it's a fabulous book and they are in there. So that it's great to see them in there. And I have made them myself for the, the ch- for Hannah, who my daughter, who is four, for one of her school sponsored walks or something like that where they were looking for buns and bits and pieces. So I, I made them for that. So I have introduced them to West Limerick. 
which I'm very good proud. woman very proud about and did they like them oh they loved them I'd say my <laughs> husband probably bought most of them back though <laughs> Little thing, but they really are distinctly Northern Ireland. I know, yeah, they are. So that's the Belfast Food Tour. Now, you have a yeah. few new tours out this year. Tell us about those. Yeah, I've got a new brewery tour. So it's um, the three ages of brewing. We go to a traditional brewery, then we go to a cooperative brewery, and then we go to a digital brewery. So that's me in a bus. Don't worry, I'm not driving. And the digital brewery then we sit down and all have something to eat um, at the end but it's just a way of going around a couple of the local breweries seeing how brewing has changed so much even over the last not even five years three years two years and just what you know what what the brewers how they are experiencing what they do and how things have changed in northern ireland the um really the brewing culture is just it's only we're really only catching up with you guys down there and it's still very early days up here, so it's it'll be it's good for people to see what what the uh, brewers are doing and and to see right back to the days of being traditional and then right up to now the digital brewing it should be a fun fun time. Um, and then the other one I'm doing is a bar tour, so it's really to see the the best bars I think in Belfast and to get a, a not a pub crawl I wouldn't call it that. I recently had a lady on it who didn't drink and she said she had a brilliant time. So that's I think that's praise indeed. I want to go take you back to the the brewery one because what is a digital brewer? It's a it's a thing called a brewbot. So we're the only place in um, I think the world at the moment. I think San Francisco is going to get one. So it's the only place in the world that has a digital brewery. And if you maybe get on Google, you can have a look. Yeah, I think it's a, to Google it's, that. It's a it's a way of brewing with your um, with your mobile phone. It's a little app. Oh wow! A piece of kit. Okay. And then you can do your own thing and become a master brewer without, you know, those plop, you know, those, bu- those big plastic containers and the plop, plop, plop that goes on with them. <laughs> and be a stop <laughs> in one of your tours. <laughs> yeah, well, yes, it's, it's, it's a place to go. Um, that it's, it's one of the only ones in the world at the moment. So we're, we've got a first here and that's a big deal for me. I love that. So if we can show that off as well, I think that'll be it. It'll just be a great couple of hours just and a bit different. Very different indeed, definitely one I'll have to try now the next time I'm up. Now you, ha- you have a lovely Sunday brunch this Sunday, tell us about that. I do, I have a local, uh, I love local brunch at a fab, um, it's a it's a guest house, but they can call it a guest house, this really isn't right. It's, it's a place where um, there's a food writer, Charles Campion, he said it, they do one of the world's greatest breakfasts, it's a beautiful um, Georgian house and uh, Lou and John Mathers own it and John is a wonderful chef and he's making just the most perfect local brunch for us so we're having um, a local vodka demo making Bloody Marys and then we're going to have some hot smoked Glenorm salmon and we're going to have some uh, Peter Hannon meat and uh, Arma apple juice and, and some candy boy yogurt and apple and blackberry compote and all these different things and Really just spending a couple of hours having a, a gorgeous local brunch in a beautiful place. It sounds fabulous. I know. And again, I'm not driving, but we've got a, we've got some transport organised. So it means that everybody can leave their car at home and just enjoy themselves. So is the pickup in Belfast? It is. I'm picking up at St George's Market because there isn't a better place to stop if you're a foodie. And also um, going to pick up in Lisburn too for some people around there. Okay, and if people want to get details about that, I suppose your website is the, the best place to direct them. Yep, exactly. Or um, It's listed on the um, discovernorthernireland.com as well, but it's belfastfoodtour.com, so it's, all the information is there. Now, you do have a tip for people that are maybe coming to Northern Ireland and they want to ask questions. There's a, a new forum online there that you signed up to yourself today. Yeah, there's the um, it's Ireland.com and it's their new community website that they have. And if there's any questions that people have about visiting Belfast or be, I mean anything to do with food in Northern Ireland, I'm on there, and I'm sure there'll be a lot more people getting signed up. It's um, community.ireland.com, and even just reading it myself today, it's amazing what you can find out. But it covers everything, and it's all around the world, and um, they're promoting it hugely so it should be good to get a lot of information on there. Before you go now I want to ask you about you were on BBC Radio Ulster last year with Kim Lanigan is that how you I said was. Kim's name and Lennon, yeah. you well you made an announcement 
and you told you said you were taking a career break because you were a solicitor. You are a solicitor. You were taking yes. a career break from law. You hadn't yes. told your mother at the time. You announced I it on the radio. Yeah, yeah. I, I presume you've told her by now, or she's figured it out anyway. She has. She told me the other day has about one of her friends had asked saying how exactly long was my career break going to be? But we're a couple of months in now. That was in the end of September, start of October. And I think if I can make it through the summer without being in an office, I'll be very happy. So we'll just see how this goes. It's all going very well for you, which is great. I'm delighted for you. Um, thank you so much. Well, thank you. You've been on it. And um, and also, we just, I just hope now this year we can really get people up visiting Northern Ireland and really see what all's going up here. I've said it before. It's an evolution up here. We're getting there. And um, we have so many beautiful products now that are just, if you turn the next corner, there's another one and it's just happening and it's great to see and I'm very lucky to be involved in it. I'm always telling the listeners that there's never been a better time to visit. I agree. I really do agree with you. Um, I mean, I, the other thing I was going to say, and I know that you're the same with me, um, we're doing a trip down to Ballymaloo. So I do know a lot of the producers that are down there um, and no better place really than Cork. But it's just, it's interesting to see now how, Bel- how Northern Ireland, not just Belfast, but how the whole of Northern Ireland is really getting involved with this year of food and drink. And I think in another couple of months, we'll all be really on it. Well, it's been 10 years since I moved from Belfast down to West Limerick. And every time I go back, it's like going into a completely different place, which in some ways makes me very sad, but in more ways makes me very happy. But there's so many places in Belfast I just haven't had the chance to go to that I'm very excited about trying out, hopefully in 2016. There's maybe too many for one year. It could extend into 2017. So I'm sure you have lots of great tips. I'll be in touch with you now the next time I'm coming up. And um, I'll see you in Ballymaloo uh, if I don't see you before then, Caroline. Thanks for talking to us this evening. Thank you very much. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan. And just before the break, I was talking to Caroline Wilson from Belfast Food Tours about the Northern Ireland Year of Food and Drink. And earlier in the show, Chef Gary O'Hanlon had behind-the-scenes news from TV3, the restaurant, and I was out and about and met wine importer Brian Smith. If you are just tuning in, you can catch the full show later in the week on the podcast, which is on soundcloud.com forward slash food-and-drink-show or subscribe free of charge and download it on iTunes or use the podcast app. We're at the final interview of the evening and it's actually a report from the Weston Price Wise Traditions Conference that took place recently in Limerick's Toman Park. I was there and met a number of people including Val O'Connor, Deirdre McMahon and you might remember BJ from Well Nice Pops. So let's have a listen. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Val, you're here at the Wise Traditions Conference in Tomond Park. What brought you along for the weekend? I'm a follower of the Western Price, I suppose, way of eating in that, I mean, really, it's nothing unusual. It's not a special diet. It's Wise Traditions in food and farming, and it's basically uh, trying to bring people back to just eating unadulterated food, you know, the the basic kind of food that Irish people always lived on. Um, When everything was organic, when everything was naturally organic, we had way less instance of disease, of autoimmune diseases, of cancer, of autism, of a lot of different things. And um, chemical treatment of our food has has wreaked havoc. And you actually have you actually have some lovely cookies and muffins here. Somebody's just going to buy a couple That's of right. them there. Go I, ahead. Well, I'm, I was asked to make these because this is how I bake anyway. So, um, yeah, I've made some nice um, dairy-free, what are called GAPS muffins. GAPS is gut and psychology syndrome. That's a book written by Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride. And it's used, that way of eating is used to treat a number of, I suppose, diseases. But... Um, so those muffins are carrot, they're made with uh, coconut oil, coconut flour, eggs, honey, vanilla and um, cinnamon, cinnamon, yes. walnuts and raisins. Well, I had one of those actually very earlier nutritious. on. I mean, it's great to be able to make cakes that it's better for you to eat these cakes than not eat them. You know, when is there a cake ever in your life? And you go, you know, you should eat this because it's going to do you a lot of good. And it's yeah. very easy to digest. There's nothing bad There's no in them at all. No, there's nothing bad in them. No, it's, a, it's real food. You know, it's very nutrient dense and uh, and very tasty. That's the main thing. 
And then these other ones here, these are um, oatmeal cookies that I made by soaking oats and raisins overnight in uh, raw local buttermilk. We got the milk from a farmer out in, he'll murder me, I don't remember where exactly he is anyways, in County Limerick. So I soaked the oats in butter and buttermilk. And then uh, the next day I mixed them up with eggs and maple syrup, a little bit of bread soda, but um, they're fantastic because when you soak grains, um, it swells them. Traditionally, we always made porridge by soaking the porridge overnight, and it's much easier on your digestive system, and then it's much easier to absorb the nutrients from them. So um, I suppose the Western Price way of cooking acknowledges that if you want to eat well, obviously you have to spend time in the kitchen, and everybody these days say, you know, well, I don't have time to cook. But you can choose to either not have time to cook or have a really bad quality of life. I mean, our body is the most important thing that we should nourish. Absolutely. And you mentioned Natasha McBride, Dr. Natasha McBride and the GAPS diet. And she is here this weekend. Has she sampled any of your wares? Oh, that fills me with fear. Her <laughs> husband just took one of the muffins and he said he'll get the wife to test it and see. But um, no, she hasn't, uh, she hasn't sampled any. Um, I'd be honoured if she would eat one of the muffins and if she liked it. But uh, she's an extraordinary woman and uh, she's a neurologist herself. And she had a son with autism and that led her to, I suppose, try and find find a way you know to make his life better through food and through through her own research now she has a clinic and people come to her to get help with autism because it's on the rise and scary numbers you know did you hear her talk yesterday I, that was actually the third time I've heard her and it was more or less the same talk but every time I hear it I hear something new because as life goes on health issues arise either with yourself or a member of your own family and to hear her again has reminded me of certain things that I can do that I wouldn't be getting anywhere with doctors and but the, the great thing is that um, eating according to GAPS way is the nicest food that exists things like roast duck things that we used to eat more like liver and uh, you know good quality chicken with the skin on eggs good green veg and of course fermented foods are very important and that's a big part of what I'm into you are the queen of fermentation in Limerick City, I would say, and you have some courses coming up, I think, on fermentation. I do, actually. I, I'm doing courses in Hook and Ladder. We're doing something very exciting, myself and Keith Piggott, on the 26th of this month, which is a pop-up restaurant. We're doing a five-course tasting menu that's based around fermented foods, because a lot of people ask, well, how do I eat this in my everyday food? You know, do I just have it as a snack? So um, Keith has designed a menu so we're going to have, you know, a dish with sour, a soup with sourdough dumplings and, you know, a short rib of beef with sauerkraut and kombucha. And we're going to make, you know, an ice cream from milk kefir. So this is really exciting. This is a one-off thing. So, you know, it's more than, I suppose, just having fermented stuff there in your kitchen and having little bits and bobs. This is going to show people how to turn it into food. And, you know, Keith is a great chef. So I'm also doing an introduction to fermented foods uh, in Hook and Ladder at the start of March which is a two and a half hour workshop and gives people really everything they need to get started. Because it's very easy to ferment foods. It's just a case of, you know, being shown and saying, oh, that's all it is. You know, you just, it, it, and they're all made from very accessible ingredients. These aren't expensive things to do. But when you ferment, you, you, you up the vitamin content of your food, you drastically reduce the carbohydrate count, and mainly you populate your gut with all the good bacteria that it needs. And when you don't have a good gut flora, your immune system just isn't working and you get sick a lot and we're all getting sick all the time you know we think we need vitamin d but really sometimes the secret is just in a little bit of cabbage and salt in a jar well i'm going to populate my gut now with one of these oatmeal <laughs> cookies great to see you you too sharon thanks Bede, you're here with Well Nice Pops at the Wise Traditions Conference in Tumman Park. Why did you come along? Absolutely. Well, I suppose they got in touch with us originally, being that the conference was going to be on in Limerick and we were a new healthy Limerick product. Um, and I suppose that, you know, this is very much about the Western A. Price Foundation and uh, the GAPS diet. But no matter what protocol you're following, everybody recommends eating more vegetables. And obviously our pops are a vegetable base, so it's a good fit. Have you had a chance to listen to any of the speakers over the couple of days? I have. I've just had a very uh, interesting lecture there from Patricia Daly about the ketogenic diet, um, which is obviously used a lot for cancer treatment and stuff like that. Um, and yesterday I caught some of Dr. Natasha, who deals a lot with the GAPS. Very interesting. Just explain to us what the GAPS diet is. Yeah, the GAPS diet is the gut and psychology syndrome. So it's used a lot for um, for different treatments, but particularly with uh, kids on the autistic spectrum and stuff like that. Um, so it concentrates a lot on bone 
own broth to heal and seal the gut. Um, it's very low in grains, a lot of organ meats, that kind of idea. But uh, really good results. There's a great mix of people here from, they seem to be from all over the world. I can hear the different accents. Yes, absolutely. And we find that, I mean, we're meeting a lot of people who are wondering where they can get our pops up the country in Athlone and Kilkenny and stuff like that. So it's fantastic. Um, but I mean, the Westerday Prize Foundation is, is an international organisation. So, I mean, it is great to, to have it here in Thoman Park. Well, talking about your pops being available up the country, you actually have some news in that department. Yes, we do. We're delighted since we last spoke to you. We've gotten into our super values in Limerick, as we expected, but also in Clare and Tipperary. Um, so we're fully stocked in those three counties now, so it's onwards and upwards. We're going to be hitting the road, hoping to do Cork and hit to Dublin next and, and fill in the other counties as well. Well, congratulations on that. Thanks and so much. Good to talk to you. Good to see you here. You too, Sharon. Thank you. Deirdre, you're one of the organisers of the Weston Price Foundation Conference, the Wise Traditions Conference is on in Tomond Park this weekend, along with Brendan and Anne. How did you get involved? Um, well, I've known Brendan for a long time and myself and Anne uh, linked up because of our common interest in food and uh, we all went to, Anne, myself and some other friends went to the Western Prize Conference in London two years ago and we found it a fascinating conference, particularly um, the thing that really interested me was the mix of people who were there. Um, it wasn't like other conferences where you might get one you know, one type of person, it would be all nutritionists or all doctors or all health professionals. But this was very much a mix. And, and that's very much what it seems to be here in Tomond Park today. Tell us about the different types of people that are here. It is indeed and uh, would be similar to last year. So you have a lot of nutritional therapists here and also students of uh, nutrition. But we also have doctors. We have a lot of parents, particularly parents of special needs children or children who have some sort of chronic illness. Um, a lot of people who are just coming here because their own health is, um, you know, they have problems with their own health. Um, but we, of course, also have lots of exhibitors here from all walks of life. And give us a few examples of the exhibitors that are here and why are they here? Why have they come along to this? Um, well, we have lots of different exhibitors. We have, we're standing outside the food hall. So we have cheese producers. Um, they're particularly interested in being here because part of uh, the Western Price Foundation, um, one of the main things they're interested in is uh, the promotion of raw milk or what they would call real milk. Um, so we have three uh, producers here who make cheese from raw milk. Then we also have a few exhibitors uh, selling uh, supplements um, which are very interesting and they're Irish based uh, producers which is great. Uh, we also have somebody selling bone broth which is um, a real trendy kind of thing at the moment even though some of us would have been drinking it for several years. Um, we have um, Caroline Rigney who's an amazing uh, pork producer. Then we have some uh, exhibitors who, are, who are, are services. So we have some GAPS practitioners, people who help people who are doing the GAPS diet. We also have um, uh, some uh, producers of things like wheatgrass and um, um, we have some probiotics um, people here as well so they're from all walks of life very varied interests and I guess they're here because Western Price conferences bring that range of people here there is lots happening there's talks there's the exhibitors and for you what has the highlight been for the weekend Oh, that's a good question. Uh, so many highlights. Um, I, I think what I really love is actually meeting people, meeting the people who have come and that it means so much to people, particularly um, Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride, who is my own personal hero because I've done the GAPS diet with my son. Um, she, it's kind of a bit like hero worship with her sometimes, but she herself has no ego. She's a wonderful person. She just stands around and talks to people for hours. But I've you know, witnessed it a few times yesterday, seeing people get so emotional when they meet her and they're in floods of tears and she's, she ends up, you know, <laughs> calming them down. And it's wonderful to see because when people can take control of their own health and, you know, they're empowered to do that. And then it's, it's, just, it's just amazing for them afterwards. Can I ask you why you adopted the diet with your son? Um, well, mainly I was introduced to the book by Brendan, who's one of our organisers here, who's a friend of mine for a long time and is a nutritional therapist um, with 10 years of study. And uh, my son had been diagnosed for over a year and life was very difficult, as you can imagine. And Diagnosed with? Autism, yeah. And um, Brendan introduced me to the book. I read it. I was floored. 
even at the thought that I could do something because I had been told this is a lifelong condition, you must accept it. And I read it in October and we started it that January and um, it was amazing. And how long did it take to see results? You changed the diet and like, what changes did you have to implement in, in the diet? I, I presume as a family, as a whole, the, the changes were made. Yes, we did it as a family, uh, the five of us, for about a year and a half. Then some of us fell off the wagon. But my son has stayed on it. He was on it um, full gaps for four years. And um, he would still be mostly on gaps, but he eats potatoes now, which is his favourite food. <laughs> and is it um, a big no-no in the gaps? Diet? It is, yeah, it is. But it, gaps isn't meant to be permanent, except for some very extreme conditions like schizophrenia. Um, so it's, it is intended as a temporary healing diet for two to three years. So we stayed on it for four years. But I would hope, even though we're not in full gaps anymore, that my son would never go back to eating processed foods or sugar. Um, it's a huge uh, thing to do. It is a very difficult thing to do, but it does work. In what way is it difficult? Obviously, you're cutting out all the processed foods, but you're going back to very natural type foods. Yes, but there is a lot of cooking. Um, I suppose it wasn't a huge deal for me. I was somebody who cooked and I was a full-time stay-at-home parent at the time, so I had time to do it. If you're working full-time, I don't know how you would do it, you know, and anyone who asks me advice, I do say to them, take holidays and, you know, try to do it in the summer holidays, at least to start with. You have to make um, stock or broth a lot. Okay, uh, from scratch. From scratch. You have to make um, soup a lot and you sur- you have to spend some time sourcing where you're getting materials from because we would emphasise um, grass-fed meat and organic vegetables, that kind of thing. So there is a bit of research that has to go in as well. But it does work. But thankfully, though, a lot of those ingredients are more widely available today than they would have been even two or three years ago. That's very true. And that's totally uh, consumer demand people want it you know they do and it it is out there and I suppose Weston Price would um, as chapter leaders I'm chapter leader for Limerick and as chapter leader for Tipperary we would have a list if anybody wanted to find out that's part of our job as chapter leader Um, so we're able to tell you where to get um, what you need in your local area. So the website is a great resource for people? Well our website now is mainly concerned about the conference but um, if you become a Western Price member, my phone number is listed, Anne's phone no- number is listed, and you just give us a buzz and we find out for you. Okay, fantastic. Listen, lovely to talk to you, and it's been a great day. Well done. Congratulations. You too, and thanks for coming. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleite. That brings us to the end of tonight's show, which will be on the podcast later in the week. Soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show, or subscribe to it free of charge on iTunes or use the podcast app. Thanks so much for your company and to all of this evening's guests and contributors, Gary O'Hanlon, Brent Smith, Caroline Wilson and Val Deirdre and BJ from the Wise Traditions Conference. Until next week, when nutritionist Sid Sheehan will be here, we'll have a preview of the March issue of Easy Food magazine and Ken Mayor foodie Karen Coakley will have a recipe to share. So until then, bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit!